Hello and welcome to the Found Cause. We found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm my Michael. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine. And to my virtual front is Sebastian, the bookkeeper. No theater day because it is his birthday. Happy birthday, Theodore! Uh, at least the time of this recording. Today is a special episode because Sebastian had a brilliant idea, I think, to get us lots of views and money, um, of which we make none. Um, and that was, why don't we list up the reasons we aren't? So we say a lot of positive things in this podcast. We say a lot of negative things in this podcast. And it turns out negative things usually perform well. Um, so in the spirit of that, and to make something digestible for our audience, especially our Muslim audience or those interested in Muslim apologetics, we're going to do an episode series um, on why we aren't particular religions, starting with Islam. So this is why we aren't Muslims. Five reasons. And me and Sebastian separately came up with these reasons. So we developed our own lists uh, and then posted them to each other right before this episode. And we're going to compare them. They came out pretty similar with one one minor exception. Um, but we're going to go through the list and then justify not only that these these things we talk about are facts, that they are true things, um, but then why they're important and why they make us not a Muslim. Uh, we're going to go from least important to most. So when we start here, you'll notice it's our least important thing on the list. Then number five out of one through five on the list. Um, this one we matched up with. And without further ado, we both said that the life and teachings of Muhammad were unreliable. He was an unreliable witness, and that is our number five reason why he, we are not Muslims. Sebastian, I'll let you take this one because you are by far the scholar between us two and an avid reader of both the Quran and um, other parodies of Muhammad's life. So uh, you know more than me on this one. Yes, we did make a another series on the life of Muhammad and the fun times that he had. So we can you can check on the archives, one of our earliest episodes too, that we made that. A source, I'll just remember, remind everyone, I have this uh, compiled uh, of all the compilation of all the Kirat from the Quran. I use that to read my Quran and it's great. Anyway, back on topic. Why don't we take Muhammad seriously? because he committed a lot of well, atrocities and also lived a very sinful life. To, the stakes are pretty high for him because he is called the seal of the prophets. In, in Surah 33, verse 40, he is called, here it says, Muhammad is not the father of any of your men, but is the messenger of Allah and the seal of the prophets. And Allah has perfect knowledge of all things. The teaching from this is that he is the last prophet, he is the seal, he is the completion, he is the fulfillment of all the prophets from the Old Testament, the Torah, and then also they will say prophet Jesus from the Injil. He is the last prophet. But did he live a holy and exemplary life like the other prophets? I would argue not. He asked in for, he conveniently got revelation from Allah, such as a marrying the wife of his adopted son and got after seeing her partially naked one day the next day he gets a convenient revelation from allah in which says that oh you should give this woman to muhammad to be his wife there are many cases of convenient revelation through his life and aisha even the one of the wives multiple wives of muhammad said that allah is quick to Hasten your desires, meaning quickly gives revelation that benefits you. And then the worst, though, was in, narrated by At-Tabari, one of the hadith, the satanic verses in which Muhammad accidentally takes in word from Satan, thinking it came from God, and then tells the people to worship three pagan goddesses. And later, then Gabriel shows up 
and says, Muhammad, what did you do? This wasn't from Allah. This was from Satan himself. And then Muhammad's like, oh, oops. I couldn't really tell the difference between uh, the regular messages that you give me, Angel Gabriel, and Satan. And what we know from the Bible, Michael, is that a true prophet of God will never give false prophecy. In fact, the stakes in Deuteronomy are high, that the moment you give a, a single false prophecy that's not from God, it's off with your head. Yep. And I think uh, fundamentally, um, uh, Sebastian's being pretty charitable with this, saying that he he is giving it from, from truly Muhammad's perspective to say that he thought that he heard from Gabriel, but it was really Satan. I think the uncharitable perspective here is that he was always self-benefiting with prophecies because he was making the prophecies. They weren't from the tablet in the sky. They weren't from the Quran. They weren't even from the angel Gabriel. They were from Muhammad. And so he made a mistake in doing the three goddesses try because he realized this was too inconsistent with his previous message and decided I'm backtracking. I am saying that was from Satan. Um, again, that's the uncharitable take. Even if you take it charitably, though, so even if you believe Muhammad by his words that he received it from Satan, Muhammad is clearly a, a unreliable witness that is not able to discern the word of God because he also discerns the word of Satan as the word of God. And like Sebastian just said, these stakes, that scripture, the Old Testament, the supposed same Old Testament that's consistent with the Quran, um, gives for, for false prophecy is death. And so none of the prophets of God give prophecy. So they, they might be confused themselves. They might uh, lie themselves. They're all sinners themselves. But the fact that they would prophesy outside of the name of God is a mark of a false prophet, not a true prophet. So even the most flawed prophets of the Bible, the true prophets, they do not lie in the name of God because that would be contrary to their very chosen occupation that God gives them as a prophet. So therefore, we would say Muhammad is not a prophet. He is a false prophet. And for those that don't know much about Islam, you might be saying, so what? Like even some prophets in the Old Testament, like Elijah faltered. He says, God, kill me. I can't do this anymore. You know, some, they had moments of weaknesses. Well, the stakes are high because according to Islam, the, the entire Quran was revealed through Muhammad. Of course, chan he, was chan he was channeling revelation from God. But if he accidentally gave signs from Satan, that really puts into question how reliable he is to have transmitted entirely the word of God. Right. And again, note the ordering here. We have placed this as our number five, meaning our least important of the five reasons why we are Christians instead of Muslims. We are not Muslims. Um, so it's not the end-all be-all, and there's dispute over like whether these hadiths are true and whatever else. But know that we are not, again, especially Sebastian here, is not being uncharitable in his take here because these hadiths he quotes are reliable sources. They're accepted by Muslims. He's not taking fringe stories or weird conspiracy theories about Muhammad. These are well-known and attested things about Muhammad's life. Uh, but again, it's our number five for a reason because Muhammad himself is pretty linchpin to the whole Islamic faith and he is not a reliable witness. We'll move up to number four then. So number four, we both kind of had the same. Uh, Sebastian put it differently than myself. I said my number four reason for not being a Muslim was the consistency of scriptures, the consistency of the Old and New Testament um, in contrast to the Quran because they're, they're contradictory and therefore the consistency of the Old and New Testament overrides the inconsistency of the Quran. Sebastian put it, there's no continuity um, to the Old and New Testament in the Quran. So the fact that the Quran is not consistent and continuous with the New Testament and the Old Testament means that it's fake. It's not the true word of God. It's, it's false. So, Sebastian, you might want to speak on this, and I've got my own words as well. How would you put it? Yes, from 
uh, from Surah of Yunus of Jonah, chapter on Jonah, uh, verse, thir verse 37, it, na it narrates, it is not possible for this Quran to have been produced by anyone other than Allah. In fact, it is a confirmation of what came before and an explanation of this scripture. It is without a doubt from the Lord of all worlds. What does this mean? Over and over and over again, uh, the narration in the Quran by Muhammad is that the Allah is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jesus, the God of Moses, meaning that the Quran supposedly is the continuation of the Old and the New Testament coming, being narrated by the same God from the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the Quran says that this is an interpretation, the Quran is an interpretation of the Old and the New Testament. And they have a great problem with that, and it's going to be more evident as we talk about our other points, is that the Quran states things that are very different from Yahweh in the Old Testament or Yahweh through Jesus Christ in the New. We'll get to that. Yeah, and not only that, just to get to like textual consistency, the Quran also has different stories in it. Um, again, trying to be charitable because I know some atheists would take the Bible and say the Bible has um, different stories in it about the same events, but uh, we would say they are harmonious there the same event being described differently um, the quran has different stories for creation where um one says that adam was made with semen and one says that he was made with blood if i'm right sebastian is this correct yes yes from different interpretations in tafsir i i do want to preface though michael that many do say that <laughs> unlike the bible and the quran you really cannot jump around that much so if there is a contradiction there is a reason why there is a contradiction in, in the Quran, unlike the Bible, in which you try to harmonize everything. And yes, you're absolutely right. So um, in some verses, uh, Allah creates from blood. Another one created man from sperm. Another one created a man from nothing. Which not only is not the truth of Genesis. So Genesis says that God created man out of the clay of the earth and then breathed into him. Um, so that's not consistent with the, the Old Testament. It's also not even consistent with itself. So even if you're like you're saying, Sebastian, even if we decide to throw away internal inconsistency in the Quran because of some magic juju um, that says that it's always right regardless so that you can't criticize it that way, and we can compare it at least to the Old Testament with which it says it's consistent with and it is not um, in several key examples of which we're about to talk about and, and that and others. Um, and therefore, it's a reason we are not Muslims. Right. So that's also another huge difference with the Old and New Testament in which Jesus never claimed to break with the law. He came, I fulfilled the law, meaning there's no uh, canceling of, really, there really is no cancellation of the, of the Old Testament. It's just a fulfillment, a completion of it. Whereas in Islam, several scholars have come up with, uh, throughout the centuries, came up with the idea of abrogation, meaning later revelations can cancel old ones that are contradictory to it, which in my humble opinion is a very convenient way to deal with the text yeah. and not really addressing the contradictions. And exactly. And this is an attack that comes on Christians and we've talked about it incessantly in this podcast because it's a big passion portion of mine. 
Um, and that is the fulfillment of Jesus fulfilling the Jewish law so that he avoids abrogating it in his new new law that he brings in. Um, it's not really new law. It's fulfillment of the existing law. It was always a shadow. And you can see the symbols of the Old Testament into the new. There are a lot of them. It's not only described by current day theologians, but also by the people of the time. Like Matthew specifically describes verses in the Old Testament and how they're fulfilled in the new. And so do the epistles from John and Paul and Peter. So... Um, all that being said, there's tons of real referenceable Old Testament scripture in the New Testament, um, whereas I don't think there is any in the Quran. I don't think there's any direct quotes from the Old Testament, to my knowledge. The only one I can think of that I know is specifically quoted directly is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Ah, okay. Well, considering that is also out of um, the Lex Talionis is also in the um, Babylonian law. Um, that seems a dubious one to be directly quoting. In any case, um, it's given as part of Moses' law, I assume. Yes, yes. There is a lot of summary and paraphrasing of Bible stories, like the story of Jonah or the story of Joseph in Egypt. And there's a lot of extra dialogue that was not in the original um, Genesis narration, for example. Or there's some different takes on the story. Of, I can think of the story of Joseph now in which he uh, actually stays in the house with the Egyptian woman and then the husband believes him instead of his wife for when, when justified he, yes and then some but still he ends up in jail by saying you know I'd rather be later in the feast I'd rather be thrown in jail rather than have to be humiliated by you Egyptian woman and the other Egyptian girl. so somehow magically he ends up in jail so yes there is a there's some diversions from the biblical narrative but there, there, there is some basis, some basis on the, on the Bible stories, right? And and again, the just the historical facts do point to the consistency of Scripture being much stronger than the consistency of the Quran, the Old and New Testament, because the writers of Scripture in the New Testament are Jews themselves. They come from the Jewish background. They're directly lined up as the descendants of the Old Testament. Um, whereas the Quran is 600 years after all these events take place. It's written by non-Jews. It's written, I guess, supposedly by God um, and then given to non-Jews. It tries to convert Jews, tries to convert Christians, um, fails in a lot of cases, right? And so the consistency is obviously lacking there just from a historical standpoint, too, in that there's been 600 years since Christianity and, and what came of it. Really nothing mm -hmm. in the Muslim's view. So that's our, our number four reason. Again, we're, we're ratcheting up here. So that's more important to us than the life and inconsistency of Muhammad. Um, but it is still not our number one. Number three, and Sebastian's kind of number two, but with the point of the same. But we'll start with number three. And that is the Muslim's Unitarian God versus the Trinitarian God of the Bible. And the Unitarian God being um, not consistent with the Bible. I say um, biblical fulfillment in Christ as God, which points to the fact that if you don't have a Unitarian God and you're a Christian, you have a Trinitarian God, i.e. that Jesus Christ is God and so is the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to do a quick quote here for the Bible just to show that the New Testament and the coming of Jesus Christ as the Messiah is consistent with him being God and also consistent narrative through the Old New Testament um, as to why it's it's against the Unitarian God. And then Sebastian will give some Unitarian quotes from the Quran just to prove, prove that this is the case, that the Bible is Trinitarian and that the Quran is not. So here's from Isaiah 53. This is Old Testament, Old Testament prophets speaking about the coming Messiah, who would be Jesus. As we believe, here he says, he was oppressed, the Messiah, and he was afflicted, 
Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his, his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked. But the rich at his death, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. So if you notice what's odd about this passage about the Messiah, not only is he going to pay the sins of his people, which is exactly what Jesus did um, and, and was supposed to do, he also will prolong his days. So he will live, he'll prosper, he'll make it through this bruising, this grieving, but also he was going to be dead. He was going to be cut off from the land of living. And he was going to be with the rich at his death. So he was going to be put to death. How can you both be prolonging your days and die? How can you pay for sins? Well, there's only one way, by dying and then being risen from the grave, just as Jesus was. And then equivalently, he had no deceit. He did not open his mouth. He was blameless. Only one man is blameless, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. So this is the consistency between scriptures and shows that it needed to be God, God who would be not only sinless, but also be able to raise from the dead. Whereas the Quran has a Unitarian view of God, and Sebastian, maybe you want to speak to that. I do, yes. There is a chapter near the end of the Quran called Pure Monotheism, or uh, what's it in Arabic? Al-Tawhid. And it reads, Say, he is Allah, one and indivisible, Allah the sustainer, needed by all. He has never had offspring, nor was he born, and there is none comparable to him. In the beginning, I mean, I can't read some Arabic, so it says, Kul huwa Allah, uh, Ahad, Ahad, like one, when they get the word Tawhid, and like in Hebrew also, when they say the Shema, Ahad, you can see Michael even, that similar, similar roots. Mm-hmm. So this is many Muslim commentators have taken this to mean that he has, he has never begot, begets, nor was he begotten to try to counter the Christian lingo at the time in the 600s going around in Arabia because there used to be there used to be Christian kingdoms there this is trying to attack the divinity of Jesus him being the son of God that's how they interpret this he neither begets nor was he begotten and also in where is this Suda and Nisa Surah 4 and do not say 3 Desist, it is better for you. Indeed, Allah is but one God. Exalted is he above having a son. To him belongs whatever is in heaven and whatever is on the earth. So again, they, Muhammad had some understanding that there is the number three in Christianity. I don't think he really knew what it meant. Because you know, he says, in another chapter says that three is and Jesus and God the Father and then Mary. So... I mean, was there a lot of Mariolatry going around at the time in the Middle Ages? For sure, yes, but I don't think he really understood what the Trinity was. But clearly, the Quran claims to say there's no threeness in God. It's just pure, one, Unitarian God. And so there we go. We've set up a juxtaposition. The New Testament and even the Old Testament require 
a Trinitarian God. And we've talked a lot in the, this podcast before, and I'm sure Sebastian would love to speak on it, but there are Christophanies at times when Christ appears in the Old Testament that necessitate, require a Trinitarian God, or at least a dietarian God, a God that is not just in heaven, but also is able to appear on earth, which is different than the Unitarian God described by Islam. Islam tries to set itself up in direct opposition to, to the Trinity, and therefore it is not only against our beliefs, so it's directly against Christianity, but also Christianity wins out because Christianity is consistent with the Old Testament new, as we said in our previous point. So this Unitarian view of God is inferior, um, not only for so like some philosophical reasons, i.e. God can't like show love inherently because he's not loving um, the Trinity first, uh, but also primarily because it is inconsistent with biblical witness. Yes, and I do have it. So you can even compare that there is shadows of the Trinity in the Old Testament from Genesis 19. Then we've used this against Jehovah's Witnesses. Also, also, then the Lord rained down burning sulfur and Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And this is a time in which Yahweh himself speaks to Abraham in Genesis 18. Abraham washes the foot the feet of God and gives him food to eat. So clearly he is physically present. God is there. And that also ties into another belief that Muslims have that God cannot take physical form and can even address it too when we talk about another point. But clearly there is Yahweh raining fire from Yahweh in heaven. And this is consistent with Christian teaching and old and Judaism from old times that um, God is multipersonal. Meaning, Son, Father, Holy Spirit. Yeah, and and don't think, in case you're not familiar with what we said in other podcasts or what Christians say in general, don't think that we're hinging all of our Old Testament shows the Trinity on that one section from Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, There are several instances of God showing up physically in the uh, Old Testament that aren't God the Father, clearly, because of the, the descriptions of God the Father, like no man can see him and live, as described in Deuteronomy, or um, all the rest. Because we believe God is spirit, and that no man can see him and live, and that he doesn't take physical form, just like the Muslims, except we believe in the Trinity, and so God does appear in physical form because it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and that he does, people can see him and live because of the word of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Um, so all that being said, the Unitarian view of God is inferior. And that should bring us into our, our second point. So both of us, or our third point, I should say. So both of us have said um, that we have a problem with this biblical fulfillment of God versus a Unitarian God. Sebastian has placed as his second point, which is the only difference between him and mine, this this particular point. He has said denying the divinity or the, the Messiahhood of Jesus is a reason he is not a Muslim. I'll let you break that down, Sebastian. Sure. Staying from Surah Anissa. O people of the scripture, do not commit excess in your religion or say about Allah except the truth. The Messiah Jesus, the son of Mary, was but a messenger of Allah, and his word, which he directed to Mary and a soul from him, to believe in Allah and his messengers, meaning that Jesus was just a messenger, was just a prophet. And also from the same surah in verse 157, And the Jews were boasting, we killed the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. But they neither killed nor crucified him. It was only made to appear so. Even those who argue for this crucifixion are in doubt. They have no knowledge whatsoever, only making assumptions. They certainly did not kill him. And for any Christian, that is a gigantic problem because the... Christianity, as Paul says, I forget exactly if it's in Colossians or 
Thessalonians, whatever, you can remember right now, that we should be pitied if Jesus has not died and risen from the dead out of all people. So Christianity hinges on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the atonement of our sins. And the Quran, what did you say? No, he didn't die. Some argue, was it either Simon of Cyrene that was made to look like Jesus and by Allah and then crucified, or was it Judas Iscariot? There's debate on that, but the point is, they argue, Muslims argue, Jesus did not die and was crucified, and he was not God. He was just a messenger. Whereas the Bible says the exact opposite to that. Yeah, and you know, I've heard some Muslim apologists doing da'wa, um, they say that the Gospels, uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the only um, witness that the Quran is supposed to be consistent with, because they're the only ones that are legitimately angeal, as the Bible, or the Quran references the Bible, the New Testament, as the angeal, the messenger of God. Um, mm-hmm. Most obviously, most plainly, that would mean the whole of the New Testament, because that's the Christian scripture that they would have had. But because the fullness of the New Testament is so plainly shows that Jesus died and this plainly describes the Christian gospel that is so contrary to Muhammad's message that um, modern day Muslim apologists really confirm that yes, the New Testament is wrong to them. It's totally against um, Islam, but the only proper angel then is the gospels, which are still inconsistent with Islam, but they try tricks to, to make it look like Jesus isn't God in the gospels and has made God um, by Paul or whoever else that argues. Of course, it's not true, and we've talked about it in our previous episodes before, um, but just goes to show you that even Muslim apologists, by their very admission, um, say that the New Testament plainly shows that Jesus is the Messiah and rose from the dead. And it wasn't an invention either from the New Testament. We get it from the old. My favorite verse is from the prophet uh, Micah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are small to be in the clans of Judah, out of you will come out to me and one who will be a ruler for Israel, and his origins are from old, from ancient of days, or from eternity. So how could he be born and be eternal at the same time? This is pointing to God being born and taking flesh. And then also on the note of the Messiah, you read from Isaiah 53, the Messiah is going to die, mm-hmm. but he will resurrect. Why and how? Because he is God in human form. Yeah, amen. And let's roll this right up because it, it goes to your number one and my number two. So just, again, this is where me and Sebastian had diverged. We're coming back together here. My number two is the same as his number one, and that is justification, salvation. I call it the fulfilling gospel of reconciliation. So we are Christians and therefore not Muslims because Muslims do not have good justification and salvation. Theology, it's not fulfilling. It does not give peace. It does not give reconciliation with God. You're forever in limbo on whether or not you are saved and you're trying to earn your own salvation. Whereas in Christianity... And the true gospel, you have it won by God, and God gives you true peace. You know that you're saved, and you're fully reconciled. That's the gospel piece. But let's prove it so that you don't just hear us. I think you have some quotes from the Quran, Sebastian, talking about them trying to earn salvation. Yes, from Surah of Yunus of Jonah, Surah 10, verse 26. Those who do good will have the finest reward and even more, neither gloom nor disgrace will cover their faces. It is they who will be residents of paradise. They will be there forever. So that's one that I have. And then another one is from uh, Surah Saba, chapter 34, verse 4. So he may reward those who believe and do good. It is they who will have forgiveness and an honorable provision. The Quran is 
mentions over and over again in other places too that uh, Allah rewards and gives salvation and forgiveness to those who do good. So what's the point? That you ultimately are the one who determines your salvation. Yes, it is by the grace and mercy of Allah that he forgives you, but only if you do X, Y, and C. Right. And this is in contrast, and I'll give some Bible quotes here um, to the Christian gospel, which is that God justifies the unrighteous. And that's that's a point that even Joseph Smith, a very similar story, by the way, to Muhammad, uh, who gets supposed revelation from God, steals people's wives, blah, blah, blah. He changes his translation of the Bible from saying that God justifies the ungodly to ju- God justifying the godly because he doesn't understand, doesn't want to believe that God would justify ungodly people because God is good. Um, however, God's ultimate plan for humanity was that all humanity is ungodly and no one would be saved not one no one is good not no one is righteous not one as the psalms say as romans 3 reiterates no one is good not one and therefore we need a savior that fully justifies the ungodly therefore the christian gospel is summed up in this this is romans 5 says therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand Meaning, we've been justified fully before God via faith, via belief, via saving faith in Jesus Christ, who has given his reward to his followers. So this is fully done by God. It's not done by man. So it doesn't matter if you are ungodly. God is the one who makes you godly. And it's fully securing because Jesus Christ is the one who's given you his faithfulness. Um, So it doesn't rely on your own faith. And then equally, um, that gained access faith that you've gotten through Jesus Christ is also complete. It's all your sins are paid for through Jesus. So not only is it entirely by him, it's also fully done by him. You do not have to, quote unquote, be good. Now you want to be good and being good is a sign that you're saved and all that, which you talked about in other episodes, but this is a fully justifying gospel. It's one that you can fully believe that you are saved and at peace with God and not be relying on your own works, which all other religions fail to do because all other, other religions try some way to, um, well, I shouldn't be a broad statement. Most other religions try to prove themselves to God. Some other religions don't care or they come up with other ways of justification, but uh, Muslim people, Islam, is one that tries to work its way to salvation, which is just a not peaceful kind of salvation. And it's also not consistent with scripture, of course. Right, so that is one of the, supposedly, one of the arguments that Muslims use in contrast to other religions that it your relationship is direct with Allah it is just between you and Allah so it is all based on you you know if you were a good Muslim you do the five pillars of Islam the prayer pilgrimage and you do charity and whatnot you will have eternal life in paradise because it's based on your efforts and then Allah will reward you in that sense but again, that, that is a non-peace-giving gospel, just like Roman Catholics have right. in other religions, because you can't actually be perfect, and therefore no Muslim would be saved by Muslim standards. Or it's either no Muslim is saved, or God is unjust, because he doesn't actually have to yeah. justify people. He's like, oh yeah, you know, you still have sins that you've hurt other people with, um, but I'm just going to overlook those with no justification for the victim, no, no justice for anyone involved. I'm just going to forgive. Whereas the true living God needs to, defend the victim and uh, discipline the unrighteous. And therefore he has to punish Jesus Christ on our behalf. Otherwise he's not righteous when he forgives our sins. Right. That is the glaring problem in the Quran. Yes, God does punish sinners in hell, but then for those who are righteous in the Quran, he just forgets, forgives their sins. And whereas in Christianity, 
the reason why God forgives your sins is because someone took them on your behalf. And it was Jesus Christ himself who took it, the wrath of God that we deserve on him for us. And he is the one who gives us peace rather than our own efforts. Right. Now, last one I had on my list. So mine were one through four, or really five through two, matched up with Sebastian's. He had an extra one. He said the denying the divinity, the messiahhood of Jesus, which I had kind of mixed in with Jesus being God, which was my number three point. My number one that Sebastian didn't have, but we're both in agreement, is an important one. And I said the personal witness of God in my life. So it's kind of squishy, um, which is probably why Sebastian left it off because we're our ha- hardcore logicians and uh, we usually try to stay with just pure logic. Um, and I know there's a problem with Mormonism and some other religions that just say that as long as you feel the feelings of being saved and feel that the Book of Mormon is true or whatever else, then it must be true. Um, that's not sound in and of itself. So we should all be careful to guard our hearts against deception. Just like Muhammad was deceived by Satan, we could all be deceived by our own flesh or the enemy or demons or whatever else trying to deceive us. Um, But I will say my number one reason for being not a Muslim is because I have prayed to the living God, the Christian God, and had um, a sense of peace. I've been corrected by the Holy Spirit. I have had prayers fulfilled outside of, like in the physical world. Um, I know God. He knows me. He's made himself known to me. So uh, I can't justify that to you viewer you know i this is just for my own personal witness but it is it is ultimately the number one reason that i am christian not muslim is because i know the god who is the christian god not the mormon god not the jehovah's witnesses god not the buddhist god and not the muslim god it is important michael so the even first john talks about this there and here's what love is i'm paraphrasing trying to remember but um that he first loved us. That's why we love God. So mm-hmm. him make, making himself manifest in your life is going to transform you. And that's definitely going to impact you. Yeah, I did. I, th- I considered including that in my list, but I mean, it could apply to any, any other system as well. And it, you bring up a good point too, that we always highlight in this channel that ultimately it comes down to what your heart um, is led to. The reason why Christians are Christians, yes, there is absolutely, there's logic, there's soundness, there is, um, God has given witnesses, has given evidence, we've gone over all of that, but ultimately it's because he has softened our hearts and allowed us to see him for who he truly is. And why why aren't there others that don't want to be Christian? Because their hearts are hardened and they do not want anything to do with the one true and living God, so says Romans. Romans 1. Yep. And And you'll probably, if you watch enough of of this series, you'll see similarities between all the religions we uh, react to and why we're not. Buddhists and and Muslims and Mormons and whatever else. Um, They come down to a lot of the same points because a lot of these same points are what make real religion, real Christianity um, different from others. And so they're always going to butt up against Mormonism and against Muslims and against other man-made religions because the truth of scripture man usually hates they usually hate the peace-giving gospel that is the gospel of jesus christ that he's come to pay for your sins that you don't have to earn it they usually hate um the fact that jesus is god and that god becomes a man in this incredible gospel they usually hate the fact that the bible is so airtight and consistent with itself so you're gonna see a lot of the same defenses in our series but hopefully this one was a good starter um any last things you want to say sebastian before we wrap up just a call to repentance that rather than relying on our own efforts 
you, we should all know our hearts that how often we make stupid mistakes, how often do we fall short from the glory of God? Goodness, I can speak for myself on that. I almost got on an accident last week. So if my salvation is dependent on how well I perform, goodness gracious, I should just and kill myself and, and you know, prevent any more sin from happening. And if it really was dependent on me mm -hmm. because of how incompetent I am and how incompetent any human is out there. But you don't have to panic. You don't have to uh, run for the hills or do anything drastic because God himself has provided a means to be reconciled to him from the fall in that very one and only Lord that we serve, Jesus Christ, who being God himself to human form, suffered death that we deserved on the cross and removed the guilt that we had taken upon ourselves from our own evil on him so that we could have perfect stored relationship with God and be with him forever in his kingdom. It's true. And again, as Sebastian just said, we call you a viewer. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ, turn to him and be saved. Come to the actual peace-giving gospel. As much as it's different from your parents and from your culture, um, the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, says that whoever does not hate his father and mother, his brother and sister, his son and his daughter, and turn to him instead, hate meaning neglect, not love so much that you would deny the Lord Jesus Christ, will have no salvation. And that those who do leave mother and father and land and country and wealth and, and children, if you're called to and forced to, um, we'll receive a hundred times more in heaven. So we call you to that peace-giving gospel. It's why we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, we found our cause in. I've been Michael Bam behind the machine, and to my virtual friend has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thank you for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to poundcause.podbean.com, where we have all of our audio downloads, where you can download and save forever. We're also on Spotify and iTunes or wherever else you might find your podcast. But if you want to see our lovely faces, you have to go to YouTube or Facebook. That's where we are, baby. So until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening, and happy birthday to Theodore. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.